Hello and welcome to Senior Care's Living Wisely, Aging Well. We discuss topics of interest of pe to people aged 60 and above and also to adults living with disabilities. I'm Tracy Arabian and today my guest is Renee Gauthier. Renee is Senior Care's Director of Protective Services. Hello, Hi. thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about protective services. Um, can you tell me what protective services are and what is your role? Sure, so protective services is one of the departments that's housed inside senior care. Um, it is governed directly by the Executive Office of Elder Affairs and really what its mandate and goal is is to receive and respond to reports of elder abuse and neglect. Um, when I use the words abuse and neglect, those are kind of generalist terms. There are actually six categories that we look into. Um, and we, we serve as a, a civil investigator to really look into the merit of those claims. And our mission is to advocate and protect, help to mitigate and alleviate those risks if, if they are in fact uncovered. Great. And who can report to protective services? Absolutely anyone can report to protective services. Um, there is an 800 number. It's called the Central Intake or the Hotline. Um, if you if you were, it's it's a 1-800 number that is open 24/7, 365 days a year. Where any concerned party, whether you're a professional, a layperson, a civilian, or some type that just has a concern for an elder, if you have reason to believe that there is mistreatment occurring, um, you can always you can file using your name. You can file anonymously. Uh, there's also a web intake. So now the way of the world is electronic. Um, people always have access to a computer and they can also file um, on the web. Cool. Mm -hmm. And the 800 number is going to be on the screen while we're talking. So what types of things do, um, does protective services investigate? So the six categories um, or subtypes of abuse and neglect, they uh, range from sexual abuse, physical abuse, Emotional abuse, which also is, is referred to as verbal abuse oftentimes. Financial exploitation, caregiver neglect, or self-neglect. Where that's, that's a category, it's definitely our biggest category. Um, it's where there's no named person who's, who's doing wrong by the elder, but maybe the elder themselves just aren't able to manage their essential needs um, adequately enough to remain safe. So if I was concerned about an elder in my life, mm -hmm. how would I contact Protective Services? So you could either go onto the web, um, and, and that's www.mass.gov slash report elder abuse, or the 800-922-2275 phone number, where you'll be greeted by um, an intake worker who will ask you, a set of questions to really try to hone in on what the concern is and gather as much demographic information as possible. And really what we want people to know is that um, if you see something or something doesn't seem right, there's been a drastic change or it has seemed that there's a risk to the, the elder that is in your life or that you're aware of, feel free to report and you know, you've kind of shined the light on the concern and then the process will take over and, and determine from there um, what happens next. I happen to be a long-term or a, a, a long-distance caregiver. Mm -hmm. My parents are in Arizona. Yeah. If I was concerned about them, could I call this 800 number? You could certainly call and they would redirect you to an agency in the state w that you're concerned about. Um, or you could always call senior care directly. I'm happy to troubleshoot that for you or one of the supervisors. We will always get you to the right place. 
Um, what we're really concerned about is making sure that the entities that are at risk are reported to and so someone can get eyes on the situation. So we can certainly help navigate where that report has to go to in other states. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. What happens after a report is filed? So after a report is filed, that's a, it's a common question. Um, a person reports to the 800 or the web and what happens is electronically your local agency such as Senior Care would get notified. Um, senior Care covers nine communities. So if the elder, the way um, an investigation or an intake is delineated to an agency is really geographically where the elder is located, where they live and reside. So senior care would get an intake for an elder who lives in one of our nine communities, Gloucester, um, Rockport, Hamilton, Ipswich, Beverly, Wenham, Manchester, Essex, Topsfield. Um, so anyone in those communities would go ahead and get reported to us electronically. We get alerted to the concern and a screener takes over from there and they review the material that's being presented to us and we have to make a decision. Is there enough risk and information here that would really warrant a protective services investigation to commence um, or not? So if there is, what happens is that screener will screen it in and then make a second set of decisions. How quickly do we need to respond? How urgent is the concern? And how quickly do we have to get a caseworker out there? Um, at the most, it, we have up to five days really to, to lay eyes on an elder and try to assess the situation for what it is and make, make some kind of decision about the risk level. If it's screened out, we, maybe that's because we recently got involved, maybe that's because we feel there's another internal department that could field the situation better. It's not a critical mass, it's not the level of a need for protective. Um, we can screen it out to another department or sometimes we just screen it out because it's not where it needs to be. Perhaps it's not our jurisdiction. There's a whole host of reasons why something may be screened out. Um, so that screening process happens usually within 48 hours, sometimes less, most often less. And the case kind of, the clock kind of starts and then it gets rolled into an investigation if it's screened in. And a caseworker has 30 days to complete its in civil investigation. Um, at the end of that 30 days, they really evaluate the information that's been obtained during the course of that investigation, meaning what do the elder have to say, what do records indicate, what do um, other people who are involved in that elder's life have to say, and we really make a decision at that point in time. Is it more likely than not this action took place or the situation exists? If so, we would then open the case, we would substantiate the claims and open the case and, and devise a service plan with the elder. Um, it's really critical that the elder is involved in that process because self-determination is our premise. People have the right to have a say in how they live and what happens in their lives. So we, we try to formulate that service plan with the elder with the hopes of alleviating, mitigating, reducing the risk to the best of our abilities. Cool. Mm -hmm. So where does the information come from during investigations? I think you touched on that a little yeah. bit. So it comes from, you know, the really nice thing about this is we view each case individually because we are dealing with individuals. Everyone um, has their own set of circumstances and dynamics and concerns at hand, really. So every investigation can look a little bit different. Um, we typically interview the elder first. We gather their information, perspective, and, and assess their, the clarity of thought process and things like that. We may gather medical information we may gather financial information from institutions. Um, we talk to family members, maybe um, formal support systems, meaning you know VNAs or um, 
contracted caregivers or service providers of some sort, uh, friends, neighbors, anyone who may have some insight into the concerns brought to our attention, we'd really want to be able to talk to to get some perspective and details and background. Um, and you know, it's, it's really fluid. It depends on the case and the nature of the concerns brought to our attention. Now, when a report is filed and you're doing this initial investigating, what happens with the, the elder who's directly involved here? Or the well, the elder, I mean, really, we, we never want to cause disruption in someone's life. Um, what's important is we're trying to let them live their life with as much freedoms and autonomy as possible while trying to understand the situation for what it is. Oftentimes, people don't live in a perfect scenario, but we don't want to make it any worse or disrupt it further. So we try to gather that information in a very sensitive way um, without kind of upsetting the apple cart, per se. Um, and then we offer alternatives or things that we think might be helpful or beneficial to the situation if it warrants it. So. Okay. And if it does warrant it, mm -hmm. um, something is obviously not right, mm -hmm. then what happens? So we honestly identify that with, with the, the elder directly. Um, we explain the concern at hand. We propose maybe different interventions or solutions or services that we think may be beneficial and also at the same time ask what they would want to happen, what they think would be helpful, what, what fits their lives. Because again, like, like I said earlier, what's really important is that they live their best life and, and no one knows what their best life is but they're, they're their expert. So we want to hear what's important to them and we try to strategize with them about how maybe we can make minor changes to alleviate the risks that have been identified while still keeping them living the life they want. And if somebody, if, if you can see that somebody's definitely being treated badly, mm -hmm. but they don't want intervention, yeah. what happens? That's the hardest part. Um, I think there's a, a really vast misconception out there that when people report to protective services for something that they think is not ideal or not good or, or potentially even downright unsafe, um, protective is going to swoop in and, and change it and, and fix it and remove a party that might not be beneficial to an elder or change a living situation. And the reality is people have the right to assume risk and live with risk and make bad choices or you know, make decisions that might not be in line with other loved ones' um, thoughts about what's in their best interest. So we really just want to assess and make sure the elders understand the risks, the level of the risk, um, what possible interventions, solutions, or supports may be out there. If, if something changes, they get to a threshold where they feel this is not sustainable. We really have no unilateral um, desire or authority to make drastic changes. That being said, um, there are exceptions and there are guidelines in the law and mandates where someone does not retain decisional capacity meaning if, a, if an elder does not have the ability to make their own decisions and there is a perceived risk or identified risk, protective services on times, um, it is a minority amount of cases, but we sometimes have to petition for court intervention or action to keep someone safe if they really can't recognize the risk for what it is. Okay. Now, if somebody has made a report about mm -hmm. an elder in their life, do they receive any sort of report back? Um, the, the person who made the report, mm -hmm. um, do they ever learn what, what the results of the, your investigations are? Yeah, so what happens is there are really essentially two categories of reporters. There are mandated reporters and there are non-mandated reporters. Um, 
the helping professions, things that you could think of that, you know, someone may directly interface with an elder, fireman, paramedic, police officer, physician, nurse, etc. Um, they're considered mandated reporters and they do have a duty to, and an obligation to report if they believe abuse or neglect is present for the, for the um, safety of the elder. They do. So mandated reporters do get feedback. They are um, often spoken to during the screening process if there needs to be clarification or more information gathered. They also get an um, automatically generated letter that lets them know either the report was screened in or it was screened out. If it was screened out, the likelihood is they've already had a conversation with that screener to talk about why that is or, or the rationale behind that prior to that letter coming. Um, the second time that they would receive feedback from protective services would be at the culmination of the investigation. They would be informed via letter, again, how that landed, really the, the outcome of the investigation, were the allegations actually substantiated or were they not. It's a very brief letter. We don't divulge details for privacy mm -hmm. issues, yeah. um, but we do let the mandated reporters know. Uh, family members or lay people or other people who are not in that mandated category, they do not necessarily receive uh, formal written communication from the Protective Services Department. They can request to be notified um, the screening decision, but they will not be notified of the outcome of the investigation. A big piece of that really is when we become involved, privacy and um, dignity are really at the top of our list and we really don't want to involve parties that to a fuller extent if they don't need to be. And sometimes, you know, through the course of our work, we learn that there's a desire on the eldest part for certain entities not to be made aware for different reasons. Um, could be simply privacy or safety or, or a whole host of, um, of reasons, but yeah. I would imagine that you may get multiple reports from the same person because mm -hmm. they don't understand yeah. that. So yeah. that could be tricky on your yeah. part, I'm sure. Oftentimes when we, we do receive those calls saying, you know, and usually it's a very well-intentioned person yeah. who's just curious and wants to make sure something didn't fall through the cracks, um, they often will reach us and will explain the screening decision and, and why or, you know, let them know why they hadn't heard back or perhaps, you know, they had been out of town and, and we tried. Um, so we feel those kind of in an individual basis as needed. Now, on a different track, uh -huh. um, what kind of trends or patterns are you seeing nowadays in abusive situations or, or neglect or whatever? So, um, pretty consistently, our largest category of concern has been self-neglect. I would say a decade ago, um, it was very common to see someone in their mid-80s, maybe with failing memory or, or cognitive issues, emerging, um, not managing so well in the home, I think the, that was a pretty typical um, case. And now I think you're seeing the, the age coming down a little bit. We're actually seeing a lot younger population being reported. Still self-neglect is, is by and large the um, biggest category. But the look of the nature of the case may be different. It may be um, mental health issues. It may be medication mismanagements. It may be confusion secondary to substance abuse disorders. And there has been a huge uptick in scams, um, frauds and scams. Oh, I don't geez. think that would be a surprise to anybody. Um, but it's definitely growing in number. Can you tell me about the top couple of types of scams that you're seeing and, and what people should be watching for? Yeah, so I think um, the sweetheart scam 
you know, I think a lot of people have heard of the sweetheart where often people are contacted via phone or electronically, maybe um, in a chat room or email, and they tend to target isolated people. Oftentimes people who are recently widowed um, tend to get be the recipient of these types of, of um, solicitations. And they claim to, you know, maybe be a missionary and then their personal relationship takes on and or there's there's a befriending of someone um, from afar that you never actually get to meet and all kinds of promises are made or at some point money is being asked for to fund their effort on their missionary or um, to help finish building the home so they can bring you overseas to live with them in time. It's really appealing to the emotional state of an elder who might be isolated or, or grieving. Um, another type of scam is the grandparent or grandchild scam you may have heard about. It's someone claims that their grandchild, um, a scammer will call and, and let an elder know that their grandchild has been injured in an accident or has just been arrested for some type of an offense. Um, and again, appealing to the emotion, they often will put uh, another person on the phone posing as the grandchild, claiming that they've been arrested. It's a, a misunderstanding. Please don't tell mom or dad. Um, can you send money to get me out of jail? And this, although there's been a lot of education done around these scams, the reality is they are high-pressure tactics being used um, by these scam artists who, who are pros. And they are appealing to your emotional uh, state. They're really not allowing you time to contemplate the information being presented. Is it really making sense? Do they just contradict themselves? All you can think is a loved one is in need and I need to get money to them. Um, so those, so those are probably some of the front runners. We've had scams that, believe it or not, family be catch wind of the concern and take appropriate steps. They may, you know, restrict the phone access in some way, or change the phone number several times, or have calls forwarded to their home just to try to safeguard their loved ones. And we have seen scammers take it another another step. I've had um, scammers send taxi cabs to elders' homes to bring them to wire them money. Um, with a direction to the, to the cab driver to drive them to Stop and Shop or Shaw's and, and wire money. Um, we've had scam artists now, when they can't reach someone by phone, send a pizza with a handwritten note on top asking the elder to call a certain phone number because the phone's been restricted. Um, it, they, it's, it's, they're unrelenting, um, and really there are millions and millions of dollars um, being lost to these scam artists. Now, I heard one of the local police departments is advocating for wait 24 hours um, yeah. just to help people not be f pressured into. Yeah, I and that's good advice to wait because really what a, a scammer doesn't want is you to have time to think. Yep. That, that's what their hope is. That's what their goal is that you're going to react quickly. Um, my piece of advice that I give to people, if they call you, you don't need them. If you did not initiate the contact with this person, you don't need it. Um, so if they're calling you, hang up. If, so, if someone needs a roof, you're going to talk to loved ones, you're going to talk to family, you're going to talk to neighbors, you're going to maybe look in a phone book, you're going to talk to your Better Business Bureau or your local commerce and really maybe get some resources and leads. You're not going to need a driveway just because someone knocked on your door with extra asphalt. So um, a lot of it is education just letting people know what's out there and to be aware of that. And if, some, if you believe you've been a target of the scams, it's really important that you do report it to your local authorities or call senior care. 
we can definitely help point you in the right direction of how to safeguard your personal information, whether that be with your banks or whether that be with the local credit bureaus, whatever the, the situation warrants, we can get you in the right direction. Well, that's good. Um, I understand June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month. It is. And we are doing this just before June starts. Um, we're going to mention some events that are happening in 2019. If you are watching this after June 2019, these dates are no longer valid. So can you tell me about some of the rallies that are going to happen in June? Yeah, so June 15th is World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Um, there are places across the country and the world that really hold events of some type. Um, they, they, they vacillate, um, depending, some do really big parades and gatherings and rallies. Some are simple, you know, media blasts um, to raise awareness. But in this area, our first upcoming event will be on Monday, June 10th. It will be held in Gloucester at the Fitzhugh Lane or Fitzhenry Lane House um, down on Harbor Loop. And it's held around the lunchtime hour. I think we believe it starts around 11. And we typically do a little short parade starting at the flagpole at the police station, walking down Main Street, looping around to Rogers Street, where then we um, culminate with a really great cookout uh, hosted by the Gloucester Police Department. They've been our official chefs for the past several years. And it's a really nice event, a lot of fun, a lot of community partners come together and every year it's bigger and better. Um, so it's a really important event, we do have fun, uh, don't get me wrong, but it's sending a message and letting people know this is very real. Every year people approach us and, and can't believe this is a real um, problem. Then I believe there are three events held on the 13th of June in different communities. We have Rockport, we have Ipswich, and we have Manchester. Um, being held all on the 13th, I believe 11.30, I'm sorry, I believe 10 to 12 in Rockport, 10.30 to 11.30 in Ipswich, and 2-ish, 2, two yes. o'clock, I think, in, in Manchester, all from memory, sorry, in Manchester. Um, similar event, kind of grassroots, holding signs, yelling, waving at passersby in high, highly visible areas to get the word out there. Again, we partner with our local councils on aging and, and police departments to really get um, the players at the table and, and raise the awareness. And we have lots of seniors who come out and join us. It's a great day, it's a lot of fun. And the um, Beverly event is held on the 14th of June and that's right outside the police station at the corner there near the city hall um, green. And um, again, that's in the morning hours, maybe 10 o'clock again for memory. I believe so. Okay. Um, Similar, we'll have some goodies out there. We have some freebies, we have some signs, we have the police and the COA and Hawk, and we're out there to kind of together to send the same message that this is a vulnerable population. It's not okay to mistreat um, the elders. And, and we have, you know, um, literature out there that people can take with them. And, yeah. So if you are driving down Rogers Street on <laughs> June 10th, and you happen to see people holding signs and wearing purple clothing, honk and wave. Yeah. Let us know you support this awareness event. Um, so we have a few minutes left. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you would like to just really hammer home in the last minute or so? I really want people to know that this is a, um, you know, a very deserving population, I guess. And I think as a society, we may not do enough, in my mind, to really support the elders in our community. They are the wisdom, they are the history. Um, they deserve to live in peace. They deserve, they, they you know, come from the greatest generations of this country and they really deserve our respect and our support to live, uh, you know, age in place and live the way they want. Um, keeping in mind that, you know, that they have the right to make bad decisions and, and not be in the best situations, but taking a moment to listen and understand 
why they're making the decisions they make can, can really be quite enlightening. Um, it can shed a whole new perspective on a situation. Maybe what the best intellectual decision is at times is not the best emotional decision. Um, and, and really hearing what they want and helping them and supporting them in, in their efforts and what their decisions are. Um, I think the other piece is people are really not aware of what services are out there for elders. That mm -hmm. just because someone may not be doing swimmingly in their home environment or in, in their chosen um, place doesn't mean that there aren't support services that could just help to enhance their quality of life a little bit. Call senior care. Call, call the number and say, this is the situation. Where do I go? We have a great information and referral department that can guide you and, and offer those solutions. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for watching Living Wisely, Aging Well. To learn more about how senior care may be able to help you or somebody in your life, please give us a call. Our phone number is 978-281-1750. You can also find us on the web, www.seniorcareinc.org. All of the dates and times and locations for the elder abuse rallies are on our website, so if you didn't catch us while we were running dates and times past you, you can check our website. Thank you. Have a great day.